Hey everybody, Justin McClure here. Tonight I'm going to tell you my sobriety story. And in the effort of helping someone, which is really what I want to do, I'm not going to glorify anything or try to make myself feel better. I'm just going to tell you the truth because the point of this, like I said, is to um, hopefully help someone who might be sick or suffering and needs the message. Six years ago, 2012, um, is when I got sober, and you could say it was like one of those um, white light moments, because up until that period in October of 2012, I was uh, drinking every night, I was doing drugs, I was womanizing, Um, and if you go back previous in my life, I had a a couple DUIs already, drunk in public, I'd been in jail a few times from drug-related things and alcohol-related things. I did rehab a couple times. Uh, My longest stint in jail was, I had to do like a work furlough thing for a couple months and uh, had to run to and from there because I didn't have a car. I mean, I I went through a lot. I'm definitely, definitely qualified. So when I got sober in um, 2012, I was living in New York and I was, uh, you know, I was drinking every night. Like I said, I was womanizing. Um, I really was not happy at all. Uh, I think a lot of maybe alcoholics and addicts or people who get to this point is um, you're looking for something that you're not getting. So you just keep kind of abusing yourself. And and I know that's what I was doing. Real life situation. I had a six figure job. Um, I don't know how I had it because I was living paycheck to paycheck. I was literally borrowing money so I could drink um, up until every paycheck. And I had a six figure income. I did not have a place to stay at the time. Um, I don't know if it was my credit or my income or both, but uh, I was sleeping on couches. I was in Brooklyn, I was in Manhattan, I was sleeping on couches. And um, truth be told, I was also living at work when some of the couches that I was trying to sleep on when they were not available, um, because people might have people coming in town, I I would sleep at work. I had a desk and an office and I would just stay late and I would just sleep at work. So I was essentially homeless. I was drinking my paychecks away. So, and I'm saying all this to let everyone know the real situation so that maybe you can relate to some of this in life if this speaks to you, because once again, the message here is hopefully enable somebody else to change if they need it. Otherwise, this might just be a good story for you, okay? And it'll let, let you know a little bit more about me. So at this time in 2012, um, I was empty. I was dating almost every night, trying to fill voids. Um, so th- that's just letting let you know where I'm at. I had a long history of abusing alcohol and drugs and everything. So very qualified it was a Friday night. I went out. I was doing a lot of online dating then because I was just trying to date as much as possible because the more I dated, the more people I was around, the less insecure I felt, the more, um, uh, the more I felt. I was also trying to date women that I felt needed me. Um, and this is just being honest because I felt if they needed me, it made me feel more important. So I was doing a lot of that. I was trying to just date. I was trying to like see if I was important to people, if women could validate me because maybe I was funny or maybe I was good looking or whatever it was. I was just trying to, I really didn't want to be alone with my thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Like if you dislike your life so much, you just don't really want to be alone in your thoughts because you don't really like yourself. And that's kind of where I was. 
So that's what I was. I was dating. Because I remember specifically, I was out maybe four or five nights in a row, like every night, just a different woman every night, um, drinking every night and getting home around two o'clock in the morning and then having to go to work again in the morning at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, right? So Friday night, um, I was out with this girl. I was, you know, essentially drunk. I got home. I poured myself some more wine because that's what I did every night, you know, (laughs) going out and drinking uh, all this whiskey and wasting $200 on whiskey wasn't enough. I had to get home and drink more wine as well as we do. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to watch a movie, binge on Netflix. That's what I like to do to go to sleep. Uh, And I put on Netflix and I put on this movie called Unguarded, the Chris Heron story. That's the name of the movie, Unguarded. Um, the Chris Heron story. So I got my glass of wine. I put this movie on. And all I can tell you is that, you know, immediately it pretty much spoke to me. Chris Heron was this guy who um, kind of like, you know, Irish like me, but he kind of played, you know, I was a good basketball player. So he kind of kind of played ball like me. I was, you know, very aggressive and, you know, a lot of different things. I just, I just saw myself in this guy initially. And then part of his personality and the way that his friends would speak about him, I just, I, I felt, I, I, I identified a lot with him. And, you know, that wasn't good because I, the more I saw myself in this person, the more I disliked who he was and the more I disliked who I was. And the truth was he was somebody who squandered his career on drugs and alcohol because he just could not get his life together. And, um, I looked at myself in that moment and I thought, you know, that's kind of what I'm doing It's like, I'm a guy who has a lot of potential, but I'm wasting my life by trying to be validated uh, through women, which is an addiction, and also drinking my life away, which is an addiction and drugs and many other things, you know, probably had a lot of things that were going on. Um, so as I watched this movie, I started to identify more and more and more. And it got to a point in the movie where I was, you know, still drinking wine, obviously, but I was completely, you know, engrossed in this movie. And, and through the movie, he has this transgression. He, um, he becomes sober. So he has a, a years of abuse of everything and he wastes his career in basketball. He's a professional basketball player and he pretty much wastes his career and he gets sober, but he becomes like a hero in his community. Uh, when he becomes sober, he becomes this guy who like people look up to and people respect. And, um, I admired that, but then I looked at my current situation and I said, well, that's not who you are, Justin. You, you, you're, you're this guy who has a couple DUIs and you, know, you really don't have a place to stay right now. And you're like in your mid thirties and like, you know, that's pretty pathetic, right? That's, that's, so, so I had this shame all of a sudden, but there was a moment in the movie that really, really hit me and struck me. He got sober and he came back to a place where he used to drink, he used to drug. And in his sober mind, he looked at that place and he said, right here is where I passed out while my wife and my kid were waiting for me at the airport. And, um, I looked at the TV, I still remember it. I looked at the TV and I said, man, that is pathetic. And then I said, oh, wait, that's you. You know, Justin, that is you. That that person is you because a week before that, I had missed a, an important obligation in my life because I was drunk and I was passed out. And um, that was a pretty common occurrence in my life. Um, so I looked at the TV and I said, that's you. So this immediate... Um, shame came through my body, but also as the shame came through my body, there was also motivation and inspiration because I said, 
that's you right now, but that doesn't have to be you for the rest of your life. Like you, you can change. You can do something about it. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to be this person. You can change tomorrow. All you got to do is, is take a step in that direction. The first thing I said I knew that I had to do was maybe I just need to stop drinking. Like maybe I don't, I don't need to solve other problems that I have. Maybe, maybe the first thing is I just need to try to stop drinking. So as I was watching this, it just kind of got something going in my mind. And then I remember when he found a lot of humility when he was in rehab and they made him clean the, I remember them, I had to do this in rehab as well. They made me clean the kitchen. They made him clean the kitchen. And he said that he found himself by scrubbing the pots and the pans, like being alone in there and, you know, scrubbing those pots and pans and mopping the floor. And I really, really identified with that. I, I just really felt that isolation really, um, was something that he needed. And he and the, the more he could think about his life and the impact of what he had done and what he had caused on himself and his family, the more that gave him motivation to change. So that's what I was feeling with, with this movie as I was still drinking wine. And um, as the movie ended, you know, the, the story is, you know, Chris Heron, he, you know, he got sober and he became, like I said, this, this uh, ambassador in his community for recovery and did a lot of great things. And so by the end of the movie, I was just, I was inspired and I related to him completely because how pathetic he was, I knew that that was me. And if I could admit that that was me, then I want to be a person that I admire. And I do not admire that person. So the person that who I am, who has abused alcohol and drugs, I, I should take the privilege away from myself from doing those things because I've proven in life that I cannot do them responsibly. Okay? I cannot drink responsibly. So if I cannot do that like normal people, then I should not drink. Simple as that. It's, it's as simple as that. And that manifestation upon me that night just made it very, very clear. And so the next morning I woke up and the first thing I thought is that, you know, I just, I need to go to, I guess, an AA meeting. I just said, that's what I'm going to do right now. I reached out to somebody. I went to an AA meeting and, you know, I raised my hand and I said, today's my first day. And that was the start, everybody. That was the start. So as I was drinking every night and, you know, I got drunk and the next day I went to an AA meeting, I will tell you, I have not had a drink since then. I have not womanized since then. I have not done a drug since then. I've been completely straight edge. And let me tell you something. Not only have I not done these things, I have not had the uh, desire. Now, there have been, you know, urges when I'm like, oh, you know, I'd like to have some of that previous life of drinking because it felt good. But I knew that whatever actions in my life led me to the feelings that I had, if I were to start drinking or drugging or anything again, it would only take me back to that depressed state. So therefore, there's no use in ever doing these things again because it's never going to do anything good in my life. So I knew that. So I knew that no matter what I wanted to do, drinking or any of these things was not going to solve any problems. It could make it worse. It could make it worse because in my life, through addiction, I have lost jobs. I've lost you know, relationships. I've lost a lot of things. I've never gained one thing. 
I've never gained. I've never gotten really drunk. And next thing you know, uh, I bought a house. <laughs> you know, I've never gotten really drunk. And next thing you know, I, 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 got, I was in the most relationship, the, the best relationship ever. That's never happened. But I have lost everything and you could lose everything. So therefore, in an, in, in an intellectual decision, it's easy to say, okay, well, if I drink and do all these things and I, and I can lose it all and there's no upside, then why ever do that again? Now, it was difficult. So, you know, how, how did I maintain sobriety? Well, I went to AA meetings, but other things that I did is uh, I could say that I meditated and all this stuff, but really what I did is I found myself of service. Um, and fast forward, you know, I'm not going to fast forward, but when I met Ami, my wife, um, who had Ava and Alexis when I met her, and I, of course, I adopted Ava and Alexis because they were one year, one year old. She met me when I was volunteering all over the city. I was volunteering at a botanical garden. I was tutoring. I was mentoring. So I basically had taken all the energy that I had for, you know, an, an addiction and I was putting it in good places, you know, trying, I had a website called findingmypurpose.net and maybe you can still find it. I don't pay for the hosting, but findingmypurpose.net every week I would have at least three volunteer opportunities and I would write about it. I would blog about it, how I was tutoring, how I was mentoring. And it was really this way that I was empowering myself and, and hopefully other people. So that's what I was doing when Ami met me. But going back to when I got sober, the first year that I got sober, I walked the streets of New York every day. And I remember I listened to the same album over and over and over again. It was a band called Alisana. And they had this album called Lullaby for the Crucified. And I just loved it. It's like every night I just listened to it. And I would start in lower Manhattan and I would walk the city, even in the winter, miles and miles and miles and miles, because I knew that was the best way to keep me out of my previous life. So think about it. If you want to stop drinking or doing anything and you go home and you're bored and you're laying on your couch, next thing you know, boredom might cause you to flip through your phone and find some old contacts and go hang out at a bar. Next thing you know, you're back in your old life. So for me, I didn't want to have that option. So one thing that I did is when I got sober within the first week, I said, I don't want any temptation. So I took my phone and I formatted it, which means I deleted every contact because I, I had all these, these women that I wanted to go out with and different things and guys I wanted to drink with. I said, you know what? I need to start over. I'm going to delete every contact because the people who need to find me will find me naturally. I know that I'm doing a good service to myself by deleting all these quote unquote friends because the people that really need me in my life or I, I need to be in my life, they will find me. And so that's what I did. And that was tough because that was very, you know, lonely. I would walk the streets of New York with no friends because I was trying to build a new life. Because a big thing for me that I learned um, in recovery is it's all about people, places, things. Who are the people you're hanging out with? What are the things you're doing? And where are the places you're going? You've got to change your people, places, things. Simple as that. So I changed my people, places, things. I changed my people by, you know, deleting my phone all the contacts. And I said, I'm going to hang out with new friends, uh, places. I moved from where I was. I, well, even though I, I was, I was, you know, couch surfing, I was couch surfing in a whole different part of the city that I was walking to. And so I was in a completely different environment. So people, places, things was, was a huge, huge deal. So the first year I walked 
every night. And I'm talking about after work around five, I would just walk and I would get home at 11 and I would stop in and eat somewhere. But I did not want to be left to my own decisions because I knew my own decisions if I wasn't strong enough might put me back in a bar. So I just completely removed that by walking the streets of New York, even in the cold, even in the winter, even when I was sad, even when I uh, lost motivation, I just still did it because I knew that I wanted to stop drinking and I wanted to change my life. How long did it take before me to get healthy? About a year, about a year of doing this. Um, I was going to AA meetings, I was meeting friends, but really it was my own empowerment of me knowing that I was not going to uh, take no for an answer. It, there, was, there was nothing acceptable about relapsing for me. At this point in my life, like I said, you know, mid-30s, and I just said it's completely unacceptable for the goals that I have in life for me to be drinking with, with what I've done to my body and, and my life. So um, that is essentially, you know, a lot of my sobriety story. You know, it, it, I saw a movie... And in that movie, I, I saw myself. And in myself, I did not like what I saw. And um, the first 90 days, I did 90 AA meetings in 90 days. And then I you know, kept going to AA meetings as I, as I felt that I needed to. And I would talk and I would share and I would do things that were very uncomfortable. And really, I feel for me, and I'm speaking for me, Addiction is about overcoming yourself. I had to overcome my own thinking. My thinking led me to where I was. So how can I change my thinking where part of, part of that was, like I said, volunteering more, changing my people, places, and things. You can't, you can't live the same life and expect a different result. You can't go to the barbershop and not expect a haircut. So I had to, I had to stop going to the barbershop. And, and I did. And like I said, it was difficult. It was lonely for a long time. But sometimes in life, you got to be lonely. You, you, you know, decisions, decisions are hard. Things started to change when I realized that it was big Justin and little addiction. Whereas for the longest time, it was big addiction, little Justin. So therefore, anytime I was around anything that was my addiction, I was going to succumb to it because it was bigger than me. So overcoming anything in life, I had to become bigger than my addiction. And once I was bigger than my addiction, then it was easy to say no. For instance, I remember um, a friend of mine had a birthday party uh, around, you know, I was like a year sober and I was very, feeling very strong. And she... Um, wanted me to go to her bar for her birthday. And normally I would. I would say, you know what? Yeah, you know, I can go into a bar or whatever. And I just said, you know what? I don't, I don't need to go to a bar. That's just, that's not interesting. Justin, you don't belong in a bar. That's just not, you, you don't need to be there anymore. So I told her, I said, you know, I don't, I don't go to bars anymore, but um, let me know when you're free and let's go walk the Brooklyn Bridge. Let's go do that. And she just thought that was the best idea. And we went uh, on a Tuesday and walked the Brooklyn Bridge. And I thought, you know, a lot of people in addiction, and even myself years ago, if, if, you, if they would have said, let's go to a bar for my birthday, you, you might have internally said, oh, yeah, I, I can be okay. I'll be okay. Next thing you know, you're there and, and you think you're okay and, and you leave drinking shots and, you know, you, you, and then you relapse and then you're, you're back into your addiction. But by me suggesting, I'm just like, hey, why don't we go walk the Brooklyn Bridge? I took control of the situation. It was big, just, and little addiction. And I said, things are on my terms. And I got to the point where I really owned it that way. I, I, I would, you know, people, there were sometimes I had to be in club situations and stuff like that. And um, 
people would say, well, Justin, you, do you want something that looks like alcohol, you know, to walk around and drink? Do you want something that looks like alcohol with a straw or whatever? I'm like, no, 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 give, give me water. I, 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 don't need to, I don't need to be ashamed of not drinking. It's the greatest thing that I do. It's the most interesting thing that I do is not drink. How easy is it to drink? That's easy. And, 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 and also, who says I'm not drinking? I'm drinking water. It's like, it's such a weird thing now. It's like people are like, oh, you don't drink? No, I am drinking. I'm drinking water. There's, there's, there's liquid in this cup that I'm drinking. Why, why does it need to be alcohol, you know? So tide started to turn when I realized people thought I was really interesting because um, of how I changed my life and the discipline that I went through. Because really, we can achieve anything in life. It's not that we can't achieve, it's like we lack more disciplined thoughts. What led me to my recovery is just more, is just very, very, very disciplined thoughts. I had to be disciplined and I had to be intransigent about it. There had to be no compromising. And, um, and I was, uh, one year led to two years and, you know, three years. And, um, from 2012, from that one night when I saw that movie, I have not drank since. And, like I said, I haven't done many other things too. Um, I, you know, I married Ami and we have a, a great relationship. She can check my email or my phone at any point, at any time she's ever met me because she knows where my priorities are, where my focus is, where my head is. And I really, really love that um, I sleep well at night for many, many years. That's the best thing. It's like for many years of my life, I did not sleep well. I was like, okay, which, which woman knows that I'm with another woman? And like, you know, do I need to, do I owe somebody money? Who's going to knock on my door? It feels so liberating to know that, you know, none of those things happen. And then uh, obviously another story is, is, you know, meeting Ami, um, my wife, adopting the girls. And let me just tell you that, Six years ago, I didn't see myself fit to be a husband, much less a dad, much less a dad to children I did not bring into this world. But here I am now, a devoted dad, a great dad, a devoted husband, a great husband, and it's the greatest thing about me. So that just shows you the humility of like, what can happen in life if we allow it? I would hate to know that I was still living the same way I was six years ago. But six years ago, I was so arrogant that I thought, oh, I never want to be a dad, never want to be a husband, whatever. And here I am. It is the best thing. I, I have become the guy that I used to make fun of. I used to make fun of a suburban guy who would water his plants and mow his lawn. And like, that's me. And I love it. I love it so much that, you know, I, I can't stand the old person that I was. And that's part of the thing, too, is that when you alchemize I'll use that word, alchemy. When you alchemize from one person into another person, from the old person into the new person, you have to kill that old person. You have to kill that person that you were. You cannot let that person inside come alive again. So I had, out of all the tears that I cried and all the tough nights, I knew that was the old me dying. And I had to sit there and let that person die because in order for the new person to live, the sober person, I had to let the old Justin die. And that was the tough part. But once that person died, I'm a new man. Literally, figuratively, metaphorically, in every way, I became a new man. And that potential and that capability was invigorating and amazing because I just thought, you know, what is the potential? Like, what's life going to be? And here life is. I got three kids. I'm married to an amazing woman. And we have a great life. And let me tell you something, people. 
for anybody who's still watching this, I don't even know who's watching this. It is no coincidence that we are very successful right now. And I say very, I'm not being arrogant. I'm being humble because we have earned this. I have earned this. I know the, the sacrifice that I have put myself through and I know how hard I've worked and I know the changes. So let me inspire you by saying six years ago, I was borrowing money to live and now we, we make more money than we care to do anything with. And I say that because we're not material people, so we don't really care. You know, we, we have a good house. You know, we don't have expensive cars because we don't care about, about that. But the girls go to the best school possible. We have money saved. We have brand deals. We make good money on on, uh, on all of our videos and all of our campaigns. Like, you know, and, and outside of that, I mean, I are extremely employable. We have invested in a couple couple companies that have done very well, like we are doing great. Let that inspire you because that is well-deserved when you have changed your life. And let, let me tell you once again, it is no coincidence because when you start putting your efforts into the areas that matter, there is no cap on your potential. And like I, I've seen that in my life. Um, in the past few years, several years, I become an expert filmmaker. I become an uh, expert photographer. I'm the best filmmaker. I'm the best f- photographer I know. And once again, that, that that you might call that confidence. You might call that whatever. Call that my belief in believing in myself. Now, I don't really mean I'm the best, but I, but I really, I really admire the work I've put into learning these crafts and being able to tell a story. And that's what we do. Essentially, we tell stories. But how did this all come? It became because I became sober and I started investing my time in priorities and things that matter and stopped doing it in things that didn't matter. And that was very, very difficult. So, um, wow. You know, I, I just really wanted to share this open and honestly, um, like I said, the main thing with this is that I, I really hope I speak to it. If it's one person that this might be able to help and change. Cause like I said, I saw one movie that changed my life, man. And that was a beautiful thing. So maybe one person could see this and it could change their life and that makes life better. And this is another reason why all of our content is feel good and inspirational and positive because that's what I really feel the world needs. I feel that we're in a climate that is um, really disruptive um, in many regards. And, you know, we, we just really need to have more positive people. So that's why our, our parenting and our influence, it's really more of a feel good, positive space, you know, with a lot of empathy. Um, but, uh, man, you know, I, I, how long have, have I been going? Oh almost 30 minutes. I hope you guys like this, man. Um, I didn't promote anything, but if you heard this on the uh, our podcast last um, week in parenting, please um, please uh, review. A positive re- review would be good. Um, we're trying to do more with our podcast. If you're watching on the McClure algorithm, um, then please subscribe there. If you're watching it on Facebook, then thank you as well. Facebook is our, you know, we love Facebook. Facebook has our awesome engagement, man. We love the people there. So, um, but we love all of you. We love all of our fans. We're so appreciative. We're so, so grateful. We're really, really happy. I mean, I mean, I just tickled that, you know, we, we, we get to spend so much time with our family and we get to make memories with our family. I, I guess the most important thing from all the sobriety is that now I'm in a life that I get to wake up and make memories of my family and share it with people and help make other people feel good and like that's just like you know that makes me feel awesome so anyhow um 
this last week in parenting um, is because my sobriety. I wanted to share my story. Uh, probably next week we'll get back to uh, Ami might have a reaction to this. That would be a lot of fun. And then we'll get back to the normal episodes. But man, we, we really appreciate you and I'm glad that you're here. Thanks.